because of how we collect the information and the way we get it at a, a very granular level about what makes up a particular waste stream. So a waste stream would be a combination of a bunch of different things. But because we understand the waste at an ingredient level, we believe that there's an opportunity for us to play in the circular economy model where we begin to, to offer materials that had previously been destined for landfill and for disposal, reintroducing it back into the supply chain up on the front side of, of the manufacturing process and help to, to ultimately reduce the reliance on our natural resources. Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland. I'm your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the pleasure of speaking with Dan Collins. And Dan is a veteran of the waste industry, bringing more than 30 years of experience to the space, which he leveraged to found WasteBits back in 2014. And since then, WasteBits now provides a full-service waste platform that connects the disparate parties in the space, from waste generators to waste facilities to service providers. And WasteBits now supports clients ranging from Fortune 500 companies to small and medium independent service providers across North America and beyond, with a focus on reducing the pain of waste categorization by helping these organizations understand and take immediate action on their waste streams to improve operational performance and reduce costs. And I know that uh, these terms are industry terms, <laughs> and we will define them and dive much deeper into them over the course of our conversation. But I really loved learning about the waste management space and exploring Dan's depth of experience and entrepreneurial learnings building waste bits over the last 10 years. I hope you all enjoy my conversation with Dan Collins. So I was thinking about the the best place to start this conversation and where that might be. And I, I thought it would be to to maybe talk about the industry of waste management and what what got you into it originally. And I, thinking through it, I was reminded of this book that I read back in middle school when I, I first got into investing called uh, Common Stocks and Uncommon Profits. It was by this guy, Peter Lynch. And really one of the only lessons that stuck with me from that book was that there is often the greatest opportunity where others don't want to look because it either is too niche or too difficult or too unsexy. <laughs> and in my uh, own career, it is precisely in the unsexy and niche and difficult that I have devoted my time from election infrastructure to healthcare credentialing. Um, and these are not, you know, the, the industries that young children grow up aspiring to be in one day necessarily. And so I'd love to hear the, the story of, of how it is you came to the waste management industry and where you're kind of entrepreneurial proclivity comes from? No, that's a good question. So the, the, the waste industry as a whole is one of those, you know, they, people have always said it's, it's re recession resistant, right? So not recession proof, but the, the industry itself is, it's actually very complex and there's a lot of different silos in it. And so how, how I got started in the industry, believe it or not, was back in high school so in high school, I, uh, I had a job working for a, a company that, you know, I had no idea what, what kind of business they were in. But, you know, turns out years later, I kind of now know a little bit more about it. But I, I was unloading hazardous waste off the back of trucks 
as a warehouse guy when I was 16 years old. It was my, my second job, and so I uh, I started kind of in the in the warehouse unloading trucks. And then, you know, as I as I went through college, then I was able to to become more of a route driver and more kind of customer facing. I've literally spent my entire career in this space and started in the warehouse and have kind of worked my way up through the organizations, anything from operations to, to sales and sales marketing to starting a company called Waysmiths. And so we, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's an area of, of business that, as you mentioned, most people don't think of. Uh, it's definitely not sexy, but one thing's for sure is people generate trash. Even through the latest pandemic, uh, one of the one of the challenges the industry had is as everybody went home and was forced to go home, you can think about what we all did is we began to clean out our closets and do home remediation and like renovations. And so we ended up generating a lot more garbage at home than we do like when we were working. So the industry actually, while their their revenues were down, their volumes were up substantially because of how 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 we acted the things that we did. It does seem to be one of those industries where it's this like hidden layer of society, or ever, everyone understands that. I think the scale and and gravity of waste management, and the importance of it, but that no one really quite understands unless you are in it yourself. What actually is going on behind the scenes there you know i I would tell you it's they're they're in the industry they call it nimby not in my backyard right so so nobody wants these disposal assets these landfills these recycle centers they don't want them in their backyard in their neighborhoods but yet at the end of the day you know every week and i'm i'm 50 years old right as long as i can remember we've pushed the trash can out to the end of the driveway every week right and it magically disappears well guess what it goes somewhere Right. And so, you know, we, we've, as a society, we've continued to struggle with re- recycling and waste minimization. Um, we just continually to expect it to happen. And so behind the scenes, there's a lot to it. But at the end of the day, the companies like uh, that are in this space, they do well, they make a lot of profits, but it's a, a dirty and old industry that really has, has been pretty resistant to change. Yeah. O- over the course of your, your time in the industry, just exploring what actually happens after people bring the trash out of their driveway every week and seeing kind of maybe the dearth of technology and and kind of how antiquated maybe aspects of the industry are as we make our way towards you know waste bits and and the work that you've done there what were were some of the problems that that you witnessed within the industry that's at least started getting you thinking about what can i do to to maybe improve some of these processes and and the way things are done I think to to answer the question, I first probably need to kind of describe a little bit about the, the the area of the industry where I've spent my career and where we specialize in the problems that we're really trying to solve. So, you know, it, generally speaking, when you think about non-hazardous waste like garbage and trash and things of that nature, or even on the hazardous waste side of the business, there there's two aspects of it. There's the collection side which is what happens as they're collecting it. And then there's the post-collection. So it's the way that they process the recycle centers, the landfills, things of that nature. And so inside of, of those two markets, 
I've spent my, my career primarily on the post-collection side of the business, so more on the operation side and then on the sales and marketing. But the the other kind of break and separation is the, the waste types. And so, you know, general household garbage construction, like a construction project, those are all pretty pretty standard waste streams that just show up at the gates and they process them in the landfills. The non-hazardous industrial waste, the hazardous waste, things like used motor oil, which is a universal waste, and and paint and things of that nature. I've spent my career more on the, the regulated side of the industry. And so, you know, the problem that 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 you know I witnessed uh, as I, I spent all these years in the organizations is that not only are the companies siloed, so inside of the companies, uh, most of the, the big waste companies have been built through uh, merger and acquisition. And so they, they run a lot of, lot of different operating systems to accomplish the same things. You know, it's, it's very uncommon or it's very common rather for, you know, a, a waste company that says they have 100 locations where they, where they process materials. It's, it's very common for them to be on 30 and 40 different IT systems and oh, try wow. and roll all this all, roll all this information in. But the, the problem that, it, that comes up along with, as you can imagine, trying to, to, to manage all this different infrastructure, but the problem is, is that when they work with these large national customer bases, the Sherwin-Williams of the world, the Goodyear Tire and Rubbers of the world, where they have thousands of locations across America, they want a consistent experience. They want to be able to go to one place and get the same information that is consistent across their entire enterprise. And so inside of the, the, the companies themselves, there's a challenge in, in achieving this, but every company then is different. And so, you know, it, it is very much a, a siloed industry where there is no collaboration really amongst industry players, but a lot of times there's no collaboration even inside of the companies themselves. And so those, those are the, the high level problems that, that I saw that I feel like there's an opportunity to address. Got it. And to kind of paint a little bit more of the contextual picture here, who, who are the stakeholders in the industry? I, I know you have kind of the facilities, the providers, the, the generators of waste, us, us people, but, but how do you think about those stakeholders and, and how they interface with with the overall like infrastructure, but also from the business side of things? There's really, I would call them four different key stakeholders. There's the processors, the generators of the waste, the people that are providing the service in the middle, and then the regulators, right? So, you know, the, the Ohio EPA, the US EPA, so the, the, the government agencies and the state agencies that are trying to administer it. And if you, you kind of break, whether it's in post-collection or collection, right, there's other, other facets of, of industry that comes in, including, you know, regulations rather is, is like DOT and, you know, OSHA, the, the, the safety folks. I mean, there, it's, it's a very heavily regulated industry. Yeah. So, so before we turned on the mic here to record, you were, you were mentioning our, our mutual friend here, Scott Meyer, who had introduced yep. us and and getting to the founding story of Wastebits. Um, and so I'd love to, to just kind of hear how it came to be, because <laughs> it sounds like a very a very cool story. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. So I had actually approached, so my, my nephew uh, owns a, another, is a, a founder of another software company down in Akron called Segment, and I had approached him, oh boy, it, it, was, it was quite a while ago. So I, I would say early 2000s about, 
the opportunity that Waysmith is actually achieving on now. And at the time, it, it wasn't right. The industry really wasn't ready for, you know, collaborative systems and, and, you know, cloud infrastructure, things of that nature. And so back in 2012, I had approached him again about, hey, I have this idea, this opportunity where we can really begin to attack this, this, this environmental industry and provide collaboration and, and solutions to to the key key stakeholders, and so the timing was was kind of perfect. And that you know, he said, you know, his question to me was, what was what's the the number one challenge that is creating all the issues and, and friction in the industry? And I, I told him it was a lack of transparency and lack of reporting. So kind of like the way we used to do our taxes back in the back in the early days, right? We would get our our forms and we'd fill them out and we'd send them in, and there was really no proof of validation. It was self-reporting. Well, the, the industry, for the most part, I would say for 90% of the industry itself, it's all self-reporting. So there, there is no federal mandate that says you have to report unless you're, you're the special class uh, of waste generator. And so the one area that we chose to attack was around what we call waste characterization. And that's a regulated part of the industry that, that we can can address. And so he, he at his company, he had... Uh, a couple of developers um, at the time, Scott Meyer was one of them, and Scott had a, a great network of friends and, and folks that, that he had worked with, and they were they were going to be jumping on this this doing this competition called Startup Bus. Never heard of it in my life, um, but you know they had uh, Startup Bus at the time was fairly new. I think it was three to four years old, and so you know in, in effect what it is is a group of of friends, software developers, biz dev folks, and they jump on this bus. There's four or five of these buses that kind of like spread out across America and they come to some rally point. What the, the competition is supposed to mimic is a start is a, a startup company, but they shrink it into three to four days. And so the idea is you need to build a product, you need to get MVP, you need to, to put the business case together, and then you're going to stand on stage and you're going to pitch it in front of a, a bunch of investors who's going to vote on this company, whether it's a good idea, like what, what kind of job you did. So, so Scott and his friends were going to jump on this bus and they were collecting ideas. And so I met with, with a group that was getting on the bus and I, I happened to explain to them like the industry and why and the opportunity. And one of the gentlemen that was uh, was on Scott's team actually just happened to be from the waste industry. And I had no idea who he was. He didn't know who we were. Uh, and as, as I was explaining, he was like, wait a minute, how do you know these things? Because, <laughs> you know, and so he was able to validate the team that, hey, you know what, what he's saying is actually true, right? There's, there's a big problem. There's a lot of friction in this space. And so they, they ended up choosing our product to work on on the startup bus competition. They, uh, they started, I, I believe it was in Akron that year. I'm sorry, I'm, I take that back. They all flew to Las Vegas and they hopped oh, on the wow. Las Vegas bus. And what they ended up doing is they went down to uh, South by Southwest and they pitched at the South by Southwest show or whatever, whatever you call it, uh, event. So we made it like into the semifinals and, and then we, we ended up losing out. But we, we went pretty far. And so as we, you know, as the, the, they all kind of flew back home, we decided, hey, look, this, this has a lot of merit, a lot of legs. Let's continue to work on it. So for the next year and a half, 
we all kind of did the evening, evenings and weekends, garages, coffee shops, and got together and, and started to, to build out the product and to the point where I ended up, uh, uh, so I, my wife was in school as, uh, for, for nursing. This was all in 2013. My wife's in school for nursing. I had two boys in college, and I decided I was the only income source for the house. I decided I was going to quit my job in the waste industry and start a software company, not knowing a dang thing about software. <laughs> so luckily for me, some of, some of the, the co-founders ended up jumping with me, and so you know, the, kind of the rest is history. Wow, that's an amazing story. A few threads I, I want to pull on there. You, you mentioned from a, a timing perspective when maybe you first had the idea, you recognized the industry wasn't ready and it took a few years for, for it to come mm -hmm. around. What changed in the industry to get them more comfortable with a collaborative software and a collaborative philosophy? Yeah, so it was, you know, if you can think back to the early 2000s, um, heck, you might, have, might even have been born then. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure you're born how old you are, but uh, when you think back to the early 2000s, the idea of kind of a web presence was still fairly new. And so, you know, when you think about things like travel, right, if you were going to visit, you know, go to Florida on vacation, Right, you would go to a holidayin.com and see if they have rooms and how much money it's going to be. Then you go over to Marriott, and so you got all these like various sources of information. But you know, as the years went on, things like Priceline and Expedia and all these other things, where you can just go to this one site and they're pulling in all this various components of information and they're offering it and bringing visibility. You know, th those those things began to transpire, and so. When, when we decided to, to launch WasteBits and kind of go with the, the, the plan of attack that we had originally thought of, we at least had things to point to and examples to use for the industry and say, look, you know, we give that the, the hotel as an example, right? Or the fact that, you know, you, could, you can go onto Google and you can do research and find all the restaurants or things like Yelp. And like, so, so other technology helped us explain the opportunity that exists in the space to allow us to begin to get traction. Got it. That that does make a lot of sense. Just kind of the parallels in, in other industries and just the general trajectory of the world at that point. Yep, for sure. And so that I mean that's honestly one of the the areas that we're you know we're still kind of the only people doing what we're doing in our space. And so everything we do we have to greenfield from idea to concept to to product market set. It's like we don't have, you know, a lot of times, you know, people People think about competition as a negative. I honestly think competition is great for, for a, a number of reasons. But with that said, you know, one of the biggest things for kind of the, the early adopters is, you know, it allows the market to, to understand that, you know, there's other people doing similar things and there, you have things that you can begin to, to work off of with similarities and and for us, everything that we do, we, we have to, to kind of think outside of the box and we borrow technology from other industries and try and pull in and use those as examples to, to try and move the, the industry forward. Yeah. So, so when you're on the, the startup bus asking this question, what if waste profiling, waste categorization was made easier? First off, just for my own edification, what is waste profiling and, and waste categorization? But then also, like, what is the vision that you're painting at that point for the company? Yeah, so so waste characterization, or you'll hear them called waste profiles. What it is is for the regulated industry, 
the producer of the waste, the generator, has to explain in detail like the waste that they're going to send for disposal. So if you think about you know things like um, I'll, I'll call it paint waste, right? So even at home, you, you you're painting with a solvent-based product. You you put the paint on your wall, then you have like an acetone. You have various chemicals you use to like clean up your brushes and, and do different things. So when people send waste off-site, they have to at an ingredient level tell the disposal company what's in it, and they do that for a number of reasons. Number one is health and safety, right? So they need to make sure that they can safely process it. The second thing is they have to make sure that they're permitted to actually take it. And so, you know, the, the federal EPA will, you know, work with the company and say, okay, based on your capabilities, you're approved to take these particular waste streams or these particular chemicals. And so a profile or a characterization, probably the, the most descriptive thing that I can use that people can generally wrap their head around it, it's it's like a recipe, right? If you're going to make a cake, you start with a recipe and it says put, you know, one cup of this, one teaspoon of that. That's what a, a waste characterization or waste profile is for waste. So it's like a recipe in reverse where they're, they're telling them exactly what's in it. How was it used? What was the process, you know, and how much they have and, and how are they going to package it? And, you know, so it, it, it kind of describes the transaction and what they're going to be receiving in advance. And then the waste company will take that. They look at it. They're going to do, you know, they'll, they'll probably do some laboratory analysis. They're going to ask for safety data sheets, and then they're going to make a determination. Yes, I can take this or no, I can't. And then once they render that decision, then they communicate it. When you're thinking about waste categorization as a, as a problem space, coming out of, out of this bus and and thinking about it from an MVP perspective, what was the offering to, to the market? Thinking back to kind of my original statement about the, the lack of transparency and the lack of reporting is the industry itself, the waste companies, really kind of enjoy the fact that there's this, this black box where people won't really know how much is moving through where and what and when. But with that said, you know, thinking back to, to, you know, my hotel examples from the early 2000s, the way the industry works is if you're a business and you want to, for instance, get a competitive quote on your paint waste and you have three companies in the area that you want to get a proposal from, you have to go through the exact same process three different times. So you have to fill out this waste characterization for company A, you have to go do all the analytical and all the stuff that they want you to do. You have to go through and you have to do the exact same thing with company B, and then you have to go do the same things with, with company C. And all you're really trying to do is just get a price. And so, you know, in, in our environment, we said, look, we, we will do it one time. We will then offer this opportunity to all three locations who then can make a pricing decision. And once they've made the pricing decision, then the transaction can come through the through the, the infrastructure and they, they can they can you know get additional information on the, the amount of waste and the transactions once like they've already provided the pricing and they know they're gonna do the business. You mentioned kind of in the parallel industries, this is kind of the trajectory of of collaboration and and transparency. But you also mentioned that within the industry, that the companies themselves maybe are holding on to this opacity in the process. Mm-hmm. That there is a black box. So so how do you go about you know with the the product that that you've developed, selling to them and, and kind of 
working through this behavioral change required to relinquish you know, what they might think of as proprietary or, or something that they want to protect and make it transparent? Yeah, so it, it really depends on where the transaction starts, right? So, so, you know, sometimes our client, our customer is the waste company. And, you know, at the end of the day, our software is really just their backend operating system that's been privately branded for their use, right? So that transaction looks differently if that is the situation. If the generator or the, the waste service provider is our customer, then, right, we, we try and act on their behalf, right? So the, the industry as a whole, you know, the, the technologies that they're using, as I mentioned before, right? So first off, there, there's a lot of different technologies that's out there, but there really hasn't been any, any software company that's, that's really tried to advance in this particular market. Because they, you know, for for a number of reasons, but primarily it's you know people don't feel like it's it's a big enough space. It's so niche that everybody, like, they don't understand the opportunity that exists because they don't understand the market, right? And so you know the the area that we're playing today, we're in the early innings of the ball game, right? There, there's a lot of there's a lot of a lot of areas for us to move and improve. But at the end of the day, we're really focused on making sure that our customer and their customers have a great experience, right? And so, you know, if if they don't want to share this information with their their customer, that's that's up to them, right? For us, right, where where our customer might be, for instance, a waste generator, right? We can we can really work to to help improve their efficiency. But, you know, it, it just kind of depends which, which, which side of the, the fence we're playing on in that particular situation. Yeah, looking a little bit into the future, you know, projecting out to the ninth inning rather than the early mm-hmm. innings. How do you see the, this all kind of playing out? What's, what's kind of the, the grander vision for the work you're doing here at, at WasteBits? Ultimately, I see there being an opportunity for us to begin to to really impact. You may have heard these terms like circular economy, extended producer responsibility is some of the new stuff coming out where manufacturers are going to be responsible for their products even post-consumption. Well, because of how we collect the information and the way we get it at a, a very granular level about what makes up a particular waste stream. So a waste stream would be a combination of a bunch of different things. But because we understand the waste at an ingredient level, we believe that there's an opportunity for us to play in the circular economy model where we begin to to offer materials that had previously been destined for landfill and for disposal, reintroducing it back into the supply chain up on the front side of, of the manufacturing process and help to, to ultimately reduce the, the uh, reliance on our natural resources. Wow. So, you know, kind of working back in time from 2012, 2014, when, when you're on the bus to, you know, kind of the, the vision there and just kind of where, where, where are we today and, and what's kind of the delta between where you would like to be and, and where WasteBits is today in terms of product offerings, traction in the market, th- things of that nature? So I've, I've been in the space a very, very long time. I have a lot of really good relationships with each of the stakeholders and, and the, the various levels of their organization and companies. The waste disposal industry, the recycling industry itself, they're very resistant to change. 
very resistant to change. In fact, we, we had a, a customer who has has told us all the fantastic things that our technology has done for their companies, including reducing the order to cash by by over 80%, tell us wow. that they're considering going back to an Excel spreadsheet and a PDF, like completely wow. going with the technology. <laughs> and you wonder, like, why, right? So is, sure. is there, you know, how do, how do you feel, you know, for me, I was like, how do you feel like your customers are going to, like, respond to that, right? Especially as if others continue to advance in the space. And so um, we're, we're dealing with an industry that is very, very resistant to change. They, they do want to protect their customer base and their, their, their margins and the things that are important to them, which I under, certainly understand. But, you know, ultimately, I'm not sure that the, the ultimate goals of the, of the waste generators, you, you're, you, you, if you start researching the, the big, like, generators of waste, they're talking about greenhouse gas emissions and, and circular economy and sustainability, and they all have these goals in, the, in their corporate missions, and the, the vendors don't really seem to align with that really well many times. And so there's there's parts of their companies that do, but you know for one reason or another they haven't they haven't put the the two pegs together. Uh, it doesn't make sense yeah. to me, but you know ultimately, you know if you uh, <laughs> if you think kind of what our original vision was to to where we're going, I would tell you that we've served enough time in the space to prove that we're a viable company. We have a, a great brand in, in the industry. It, it's a it's a, a pretty well known brand at this point. You know, we have our, our product has been used by about eighty five thousand manufacturing or waste generated locations across North America um, wow. since we started. That's a lot, and so those people tend to move around a lot, various jobs, and so you know when 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 we begin to launch you know additional products to help support our ultimate vision and goal. Ultimately, it's our hope that, you know, the, the waste companies will continue to embrace us. The, the, the generators will continue to, to see the value in what we're producing. And then the, the service providers uh, will gain from all the efficiencies that we're able to, to, to drive forward by implementing technology in this in the solution. No, what, what you've said earlier in the conversation about how you view kind of competition as probably a good thing for you in this case, I think yeah, that makes a lot absolutely. more sense now. If the customer is often asking like, well, maybe our alternative is Excel and a PDF. <laughs> well, that's, you know, like I said, this is a customer that's like, have seen all the benefits of, of what technology can bring them. And they're like, you know, maybe maybe we just go back to to an old PDF and emailing it around. It's <laughs> like okay, you know, I'm not sure I'm not sure how their customers are going to feel, and you know, ultimately their their customers will will be the voice. But you know, it's it's an industry, an interesting space in that you know, as many years and and tenured I have spent in this industry, the demographics have have begun to change and change substantially. So it, it was primarily you know, I would say the average tenure for the the people in the waste industry, like on the post collection side of the business that I deal with, they're in the high twenties to thirty years. Oh wow! And so, you know, I I would have guessed, you know, if somebody would have asked me a question, you know, where where do you think the demographics are? I, I would say this is a 80, 85 percent fifty year old plus male. 
would, would be driving this industry. And, and our, our demographics are actually kind of interesting. They're very surprising. We, we ran a, a study of our users of all, all of our platform and we use the age group of 20 to 35, 35 to 50, and 50 plus. It was literally a third, a third, a third. So we're, we're seeing the industry begin, the, the demographics begin to spend out. And then the other the other thing was that, you know, the the male to female was, was 61% male, 39% female, right? So, so we're beginning to get some diversity in this space. And, you know, I think as, as the, uh, the different generational gaps begin to fill in, you know, I think the customers are going to speak the loudest, right? And it's like, I, I can tell you this, I, I have two, two, two sons that are actually in this industry as well. Um, and they're in their, their uh, mid to upper 20s. They're not going to fill out no PDF form and email it back and forth, right? <laughs> they want to click, click, click on the phone and send them a, send them a link, you know? It's like, you, you got to make it simple. You got to make it efficient. Right. We're, we're having a lot of fun drive, driving the industry forward, but it's, you know, like I said, there, there's challenges and, and rewards, right? We're hoping to, to, to see more rewards than challenge. And then part of it, it sounds like, is just playing the long game, right? Like setting the infrastructure, getting the company in a position to to survive long enough to realize the change in the industry. Yeah, and, and you're right. You're right, right? So, you know, I'm sure the, the Ubers, the Lyfts, you know, I think the best thing that happened to Uber was Lyft coming in, right, or another car service. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, think about when they fought the, the taxi industry and the transportation side of the business and what Airbnb has gone through in the, in the lodging and the hotel space, you know, and the VRBO and even Grubhub and, like, on the, the food and beverage, right, they've, they've all fought this. But you're right, right? You, you, you got to be in it for the for the long haul. You got to you got to prove that that you're you're not going to disappear, especially in the space in the industry that we're in, because this is, you know, regulatory and, and safety. And, you know, they the, the companies doing business with they need to make sure that you're going to be around. And so, you know, here, here we are. We, we launched originally in 2012. We're going on our, our ninth, tenth year, right, originally, and we first launched our product in 2014, so and our product's been in the market for, for quite some time as well. So, you know, I, I think we've, we've proven that we're going to be here, and, and we continue to, to be stubborn and stay our course, and, and you know, ultimately, uh, we're hoping we can impact the market as we expect here in the next few years. Yeah, and how in the early days was, was the company financed? It was it just kind of to market it immediately or? So that's even better story. So uh, one of the, the persons you spoke with, I, I listened to his podcast was Todd Fetterman over at uh, North coast angels. You know, when I, when I met with them, I said, you know, when they asked me this question, I was like, you know, this is going to be probably the best like use case and, and class case like that, that, you know, entrepreneurs growing up are going to be able to study because how how we financed our company originally is I had because of my my past roles and experience I had a relationship with a, with a large manufacturer in Northeast Ohio and we launched a facility services company which included like janitorial and inventory management and basically we 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 did facilities management for this company and we took all the profits for that other business and used it to finance the people that were working here. And so, you know, it was very non-dilutive. It was another business that had nothing to do with software, but it was non-dilutive financing and funding. And so that that's how we started. And so, you know, bringing the, the North Coast Angels, when when we walked, when we went through the 
the the process with them, one of the one of the steps that you would go through is they'll bring in you know five or six other business owners and you sit at a round table and you talk through them and boy was I right like half of them was on the side of hey that's brilliant like this is amazing like you can't believe I did this the other half is like that has got to be like so disruptive to to like your business why would you do those things and like they were sitting there between themselves having discussion it was it was a great discussion but uh, ultimately that's what we did we 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 launched another business to fund ourselves and then ultimately, uh, as we continue to grow the company, then uh, we uh, we worked with uh, a gentleman. His name is Bill Manby. He uh, has a, a fund down in Akron right now called the Akron Fusion Fund. But he helped us um, at the time raise some some uh, funding from some angels down in the, the Akron uh, in Northeast Ohio market. Um, and we've kind of continued down that path over the over the years. So we we didn't do the the large round. We've we've kind of only only taken what we've needed and kind of scrapped for the rest. Yeah, no, that's, that's incredible. Is that initial funding business still in operations in parallel no, with WasteBits? No, no, we actually, um, so, you know, there was a lot of discussion about, you know, do we sell it, close it? How do we get out of this thing? And, um, you know, it, it got forced. So the, the facility that we were working in actually had a major fire and uh, they, oh, wow. they they shut down operations for for 18 months, and during that time, we just chose not to not to restart it. So, you know, we we you know it, it was good, right? We we for years we had talked about, hey, we need to, to be very focused on this, and this can be a distraction. But you know, we had a, we had a lot of great leadership out at the the location, and so it really wasn't that distracting, honestly. Got it. Uh, still an incredible story, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's you know one of those lessons learned. If I had to do things a little bit differently, I, I would. I, I think I learned a, a little bit about how how I've done it, like moving forward. But you know, it is what it is. We we all learn. What are some of those lessons? Well, so I mean, as a separate business that has nothing to do with software, right? It's a janitorial and facility services company. You know, the, the reality is it was something that that you know I had a, I brought to the table. You know, I probably would have just left it as a separate business altogether, and then I would have funded the company for for the growth. Is probably how I would have done it, rather than just putting it in and then you know commingling the financials and P and Ls and things of that nature. It, it created a lot of challenges for for the the investors um, when they were looking to you know do diligence on on the company and make decisions because they they couldn't separate what part of our expenses were directly related to, you know, which business. And so, you know, ultimately we were able to, to, to separate them like as best we could, but, you know, it always, you know, we always have to answer the question like, Hey, what's this other company over here? Like what's this industrial services thing? What does that have to do with software and waste bits? Well, it has nothing to do with it. <laughs> so I, I would have left it separate. Long story short, I would have left it separate and I just would have used the, I would have, I would have, invested the profits out of that into into Waysmiths to grow it. Got it. I am curious with the just kind of the depth of experience you have in the industry, what what are like some of the things that you wish people outside of the industry knew about it that you find yourself explaining a lot or wish people were just more aware of? I think that the complexity of the industry itself and the the knowledge that you have to to have in order to be um, not only successful but efficient in this space. So, as an example, 
there's over 4,000 different triggers that will make a, a waste hazardous or non-hazardous waste or regulated or something special to be done, uh, of which you can only test for about 440 of those things. The rest of you just got to know. And so, you know, there, there is a lot of tribal knowledge, which is part of, the, part of the issue that we're trying to solve. There's a lot of tribal knowledge that lives in this space, and it, it's, it's, it's not as easy as just pushing your can to the end of the street and magically it disappears. I would tell you at a high level and more from a social perspective, it is very easy to, to sit on the sidelines and point the fingers at, at the, the operators in this space and, you know, talk about things like, you know, you're, you're contaminating the, 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 you're contaminating, you know, our environment, and like things are smelly and like they're like, it's, it's not a clean industry and it's not a clean space, but you know, yet the, the same people that are having those complaints are still pushing their can to the end of the, the street every day or every, every week. Right. Nobody, yeah. nobody wants to do anything about it. Right. And so, you know, I, I would, I would say to, to really, you know, for, for the, those that, that want to have compassion and and feel the need to, to make a change in this particular environment, like particularly in the recycling space, to become more knowledgeable about what they need to do to impact it. Because honestly, the, the, the best way to recycle is to reduce use, right? Quit using mm. cardboard cups, quit using, you know, plastic containers. You use things that are reusable, right? Use glass, use wash them, right? I know it's a little bit of an extra pain, but you know, you use switching from a card from a from a you know styrofoam coffee cup to a plastic or a paper cup, you're really not doing anything. You're still putting in the same place. Right? All the other things still have to take effect, right? So I would say that, you know, for, for people that really want to have a better understanding to, to understand what, what can they do to, 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 like, impact it in a positive nature. Are, are you optimistic about the, the prospects for that? No, not at all. Because, you know, <laughs> we, we, we live in a world, we live in a world where convenience is more important than the, the mission in many times. Right. So, you know, people, people want to do the right thing until, you know, one or two things happen. It costs them more money or it begins to inconvenience them. Right. And so, you know, in the, in the industry, I always said, you know, people, these big companies, they all want to recycle. Everybody wants to recycle. Right. That's one of the things yeah, like, we want to every, recycle and eliminate the stuff until they find out it costs them more money and then they're okay landfilling it again. Right. It's like, it's one of those two things. Like I said, it's either, you know, cost or convenience. And so I, I'm not super optimistic until we have, until we have a society where people are willing to, to put in a little bit extra work to do the right thing. I know that's harsh, but that's, mm. that's, how, that's how I feel. No, I, I appreciate the, the candor there. Yeah. So before we, we kind of wrap up, I, I'm, I feel like there may just be more fun stories that you have about WasteFits that I haven't gotten at yet. So I'm curious if there's just anything that comes to mind that you want to share about the the journey or or uh, you know building of the company so far before we we kind of wind down. Yeah, so I would tell you this: while I have worked for you know these other companies, and most of them are the big, large, you know, big, large Fortune 500s, Fortune 100s, I was always in the entrepreneurial side of the business. I mean, I, I worked for the largest waste company in the industry and launched like companies inside of theirs. Right, I launched a hazardous waste broker division inside of the largest waste 
like the largest garbage company there is, right? And was very successful at it. I, I guess I didn't realize like how how much easier that is when you have that branding and the 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 funding to do it, right? The funding, the time, the support. When you kind mm-hmm. of jump off and do it yourself, you become very lonely, right? You become very lonely in this space, and you you quickly realize that. You know all of the things that you didn't have to worry about with these larger companies um, that now are all la- like landing around your shoulders, right? And so, you know the the story. You know, I, I started telling the story about me coming home and telling my wife I was gonna, you know, quit my job in the waste industry and soft open a software company. And like I said, she's 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 in college. My two sons are in college, and you know I have a I have a daughter at home and. She's like, well, that's great. Well, what do you know about software? It's like, well, I don't know anything. Right? I don't know anything at all. But, you know, I, I know that we have a good group of co-founders out there that will support what we're doing. And, and so, you know, the, the original group of those, those you know, co-founders um, was Scott Meyer. I don't know if you know any of these folks. Scott Meyer, Chris Laco, Doug Yoder, Dan Capri, Ray Lewis were kind of the, the, the primary group that, that originally started. And then, you know, at this point, um, the only one still working in the company with me is, is Doug Yoder. Everybody else has, you know, continued to, to chase down their, their own uh, their own startups and their, their own uh, visions and heck, Ray's over in Europe right now. So, you know, everybody's done, done a fantastic job, but more importantly, like I, I couldn't. I wouldn't be here still today if it wasn't for that original group and that that grit. And so I, I would tell you that as I did this journey, you know, I went to a lot of startup events and, and conferences and things of that nature. And, you know, there there's there's clearly different groups of people, right? There's the people that sit on the sidelines and talk about what they want to do and what they wish they could do. And then there's the people that just say, you know what, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to jump in. And so I have a, a special place in my heart for, for those that have that grit that's like, you know what, we're, we'll figure it out, right? Because it is not, by any means, it is not the easiest job at all, right? And this, you know, the, 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 the stories of, you know, working for companies and having them close and not getting paid and, you know, all all those things are very, very real, right? It's a very high risk position to, to be in. And so the, those that live in this space, uh, I know I'm kind of speaking to the choir, but I didn't know to the extent, right? So I, I'm not sure that at the same time, I'm not sure I could ever go back and work for a company again. I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I drank the Kool-Aid. I, I, I kind of love the grind and get to enjoy uh, meeting a lot of really nice and, and cool people. Yeah, no, that that all resonates very, very much. (laughs) Well, um, you know, our our closing question for for everyone on is uh, we're painting a a collage here uh, and not necessarily of people's favorite things in in Cleveland and the surrounding area, but of things that other people may not necessarily know about um, the hidden gems. And so with that, uh, you know, what, what are some of your, your hidden gems in the area? Yeah. So that's a good question. So, um, first and foremost, I'm going to start with the, the whole guardian thing, right? The new Cleveland guardians. I had yeah, no yeah. idea that that like on that bridge, like those like two guardian sculpture things were there. I had no idea. I've lived here my entire <laughs> life. 
<laughs> I had no idea until they said that. And I was like, oh, I guess that, that has been there for a long time. So, um, you know, that 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 obviously is now an, a new focal point in gem. But, you know, honestly, like if you talk about like places to go or places to see, like the park systems around Northeast Ohio are just flat amazing. Like the, the most beautiful places you can go. And, you know, hopefully people get the time that the towpath uh, being able to do the, like the Ohio to Erie uh, Trail. Uh, oh, yeah. I had a couple friends that mapped the whole thing all the way from Cincinnati all the way up to Cleveland. So rode the bikes all the way up, which was, was pretty cool. You know, down in the, the, the you know, Akron, Hartville area, you know, I don't know how much how much time people get to go down in Amish country, right? But Hartville has some really cool places. Honestly, like my hidden gems, and I, I get the chance because of all the travel that I do and all the people that I, I get to, to meet, the hidden gem that I always talk about in, in Ohio and primarily Cleveland and Akron are the people. Spending time with the people in that area, the the people in the, the Cleveland, Ohio market, you, you won't find a more, you know, loyal, hardworking group of people and that, that you know, generally try and support each other anywhere. You know, I, I can tell you, I, I've lived in a, a lot of places in, in the U.S. I've, you know, spent the last 20 years of my career you know, on airplanes and in hotels. And I've never in my life seen people like what's in the, the, the Cleveland Northeast Ohio area. It's, it's something to be, it's something to be very proud about. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, the, the Southern States always get the, uh, the heck I was in South Carolina at one point and there was a billboard that says, go back to Ohio. It was a billboard on the side of the road. It was like, go back to Ohio. <laughs> right. But down, down in the South, it's like, you know, is there anybody left in Ohio? And it's like, yeah, man, there's a ton of people left in Ohio. Like, you know, and it's like, Hey, don't feel like we're picking on you. We go everywhere. But you know, at the end of the day, like you won't find a nicer group of people. You won't find a group of people that, that, you know, I, I, I enjoy living there. They're, they're very uh, proud of the, the, the area where they've grown up. Um, there's a lot of great things from cost of living to honestly, that that's my hidden gem that, you know, people, people <laughs> need to be a little bit more proud about where they're from. And, and I know we, we talk about it like amongst ourselves, but you know what, in a way it, it's good to get the word out, but you know what, Maybe we don't want all those people coming to Ohio. Yeah, well, don't, we got dozens of listeners here, so don't don't worry too much about it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. No, that's a that's a lovely place to to wrap it up here. I I really appreciate Dan you you coming on and and taking the time and sharing what's what's been an amazing story so far. So thank you very much. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. I certainly appreciate it. Yeah, of course. If folks have anything they'd like to to follow up with you about, where is the uh, the best place for them to reach you? Best way is probably email, right? D, D Collins at wastebits.com. I'm one of those proud guys that like literally can't stand if I have a red, red bubble on the on the dot. So I can contact <laughs> you. Email me, I'll respond. I, I can't have a I can't have a number. I can't have a red bubble on my on my email account. I'm with you there. <laughs> well, Dan, thanks again. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. 
Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on the show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week.